Our scripture reading this morning is from two places, Psalms 4, verses 1 to 8, and Romans 11.33. So please stand with us together out of reverence for the word of the Lord. Psalm 4 is found on page 401 in your pew Bible. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent, Selah. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. And Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I didn't have to be asked twice. It's wonderful to come and share together and to meet longtime friends. I might say old friends, but that term might seem to be um, not complimentary except for me because I'm definitely older than I used to be. But uh, as one fellow said, it takes a long time to grow an old friend. And that's true, isn't it? There are big ships and small ships, but the best ship is friendship. But then I see in this congregation a lot of new people that we haven't met before, and we're delighted with that. I see a lot of younger people in the congregation that we haven't met before, and that is a great blessing to us just to see that And so for those of you who we don't know, let me remind you that strangers are just friends waiting to happen. We all know, though, that the best friends of all are those ones whom you meet after a long period of time and you pick up the conversation as though it had never stopped, even though you haven't seen one another for quite a while. And my last word on this matter of friendship is that uh, a true friend is one who thinks you're a good egg, even if somewhat cracked. Half cracked. Enough of that. It's a joy to see you. But I want to come and follow up on the tone that has been set in the service here this morning. A tone of worship 
in praise to our Lord and Savior, our God and King. In 1987, a man named Mark Altrog registered a song, which I love to sing. It's called, I Stand in Awe of You. The words are, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Where am I? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. He based that song on Romans 11.33, which we read out this morning, O oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Psalm 33, verse 8 also says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. What is awe? My dictionary describes awe as great wonder, a feeling of wonder and reverence, inspired by anything of great beauty, sublimity, majesty, or power. And the dictionary says, we feel awe when we stand near vast mountains or when we think of God's power and glory. Secondly, awe is fear and reverence. Dread mingled with reverence. To stand in awe is to have a profound respect for someone or something. I'm glad that the dictionary recognizes God's power and glory as the subject of our reverential worship. In Psalm 4, 3 and 4, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly, for himself. The Lord will hear when I call upon him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune, upon, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Now, the New King James, which I like and read from most of the time, says, be angry and sin not. But I looked it up and uh, the King James, I think, is correct in putting that one is, as stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. I want to speak to you then this morning about total reverence for God. Really, I'm preaching to myself because in the busyness of life, 
I find so often that other things can crowd in and draw my mind away from the Lord. Don't you? When that happens, I find myself gasping for breath spiritually. In need of the oxygen of God's Spirit to revitalize my spiritual life. Do you know what I mean? So then we turn to the scriptures, which lift our eyes away from ourselves and focus them on our great God and Father. This passage, I stand in awe of you, reminds us that the godly stand in awe of our great God. Now, all men may be impressed with nature and stand in awe of nature. I remember when my wife and I came west from Ontario some 35 years ago, whatever length of time, I was absolutely in awe as we drove through the Rockies. I could hardly drive for gazing at the size and the beauty of those mountains. And when I saw Ponderosa Pines, they had the same effect on me. Others speak of that awe in seeing the Grand Canyon. The astronauts spoke of their awe in looking back from their spaceships to the earth. But when we consider the God who made those mountains, who formed the crust of the earth and then thrust them skyward out of that rocky mountain mantle, how can we do other than worship? But you're well aware of the fact that a multitude of people don't see any need to worship God. They don't understand what it means to believe in a God that is worthy of our worship. And it's nothing new. Don't let us think that we're in a more... Uh, wicked age than any age that's ever been on the face of the earth before. We are in a wicked age in a lot of ways, but when you go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Who has placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, Yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and a rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And God says to such people, he said, your iniquities have turned these things away and your sins have withheld good from you. I was at a debate recently in Kamloops between uh, two men that were arguing for the reality of God and two men that were arguing against the reality of God. The title of the debate was, What If There Is No God or Gods? One of the debaters on the atheist side argued that there have been many gods, including Norse gods and Greek gods, and those were not real, so how do we, why should we expect that the Christian God should be any more real? You see, he was one of those. One of the multitude of which the Bible speaks when it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
But understandably, it's the Christian, the one who is godly, who recognizes the hand of God in everything that God has made and worships him. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. And I have to ask myself as I preach this message, as I as I simply seek to live this message, do I stand in awe of God? I've been reading through the Old Testament again, through Genesis. And I preached a message from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Just recently, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And as I read in Genesis about creation and about the origin of all things, how, how can we do otherwise than to be in awe of the God who created all of this? But... The godly sees the hand of God not just in the formation of the world and the mountains and the trees and the seas. We see God's greater creative power in the forming of mankind. A couple of us were commenting one day that if they took the entire collection of the wisest scientists that the world has ever produced and placed them in a lab laboratory, with the best of equipment and unlimited resources and gave them as much time as they needed, they would never succeed in putting a human body together and then make it live. Despite all the talk about forming life in a test tube or about cloning sheep or humans, man cannot create life. Only God can do that. And so Acts chapter 17 verse 25 says, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. But the godly don't just stand in awe even of God's making mankind. We stand in awe of God's person. You see, it's his, in his nature, it's in his very nature that we see such a glorious, mighty one. The God of the Bible is unlike any gods ever invented by man. The Bible makes it clear that in the Old Testament, they made gods out of wood and stone and metal. God says, they were no gods. And again, the, the other peoples of the world that have made gods, made them in man's image. With all of the kind of features and lusts and desires and 
follies of humanity. God is not like that. Our God is not a man made in our image. We are made in his image, and that's why we have drawings upward towards holiness, towards righteousness, toward that which is uplifting, toward that which is, is beneficial and, and is glorious and, and remarkable. God is entirely in other than us. He is a spirit being who created all things material, but he dwells in the spirit world. He is eternal. He is the invisible. He is the unsearchable. He is the immortal. He is the all-knowing. He is the all-powerful. He is the everywhere present God, the changeless one, the perfect, glorious, self-existent one. First Chronicles 29 picks this up. In verse 10 says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, or as the King James says, thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. But we're not only in awe of God's nature, we're in awe of God's moral nature. And when we come to speak of his moral nature, we speak of it in two effects. There are two main branches to the moral nature of God. On the one side, we recognize God's perfect holiness. On the other side, we recognize God's perfect love. Holiness and love. They seem as though they are poles apart. And yet, God brings them together. Under his holiness, we learn of his absolute truth, his justice, his righteousness, his glory, his wrath, his judgments, his perfections, his wisdom, his will. Psalm 2, verse 11, Serve the Lord with fear and come before his presence with trembling. Psalm 76, 7, You yourself are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Hebrews 12, 29, For our God is a consuming fire. was interesting at that debate. The two men that were arguing on a positive side for the person of God, for the reality that there is a God, missed the most important point of all. They spent their time trying to impress upon the people that there is a God. But they held back from saying anything about Jesus. 
And one of the men that would profess to be an atheist, after the debate had gone on for quite a long time, challenged them and he said, he said, we're not talking about just any God here, we're talking about the Christian God. He said, I, I haven't heard anything about the Christian God. And it was true, they hadn't. They, they said afterwards that the reason that they didn't bring in the Lord Jesus was they thought it was outside the, the uh, scope of the debate, which was, is there a God or isn't there a God? But they missed the point because the atheists challenged them that God was hidden and had never revealed himself. And what an opportunity those men had to stand up and say, you're wrong. God has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. They missed that. And the audience missed the opportunity to see the tie-in between the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ. I felt they missed a great deal. But on the other hand, as well as the holiness of God, we see the love of God. We first see his love perfectly expressed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then we see his love expressed toward mankind. His love includes his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his praiseworthiness, his long-suffering, his stooping demands weakness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love wherewith he loved us, what a God we serve. How thankful we are that our God is not like the gods of the world, but is totally other than ourselves. But the place where the godly stand most in awe of God is in the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Again, Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent his own son to be the propitiation for our sins. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the Christian can never get over the fact that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to die for us, that he might draw us back and reconcile us to God that our salvation should not at all be the result of any good works on our part or any good thing which we can do, but solely on the basis of his own sacrifice for us, blows us away. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. Nothing. No amount of effort will ever cause God to love us. He loves us because he's God. And as he has drawn us to himself. That our salvation 
should include the forgiveness of our sins. That he should credit us with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ as though we ourselves had lived a holy and pure life in such, is such an awesome reality that we could not grasp it if it were not so clearly spelled out in Scripture. And then, that he should keep us to the end and welcome us home to glory at last to live with him forever. What is this but mercy and grace beyond anything that we can ever imagine? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Isn't that amazing? Don't you marvel at the fact that Jesus Christ has valued you and given his life for you in order that you might be called a child of God? It says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And that's true, isn't it? You know that every day as you go out into the world around you. And you say anything about God or Jesus or about the Bible. Right here in Canada these days, you're not likely to get a whole bunch of kudos for that and so on. You're more likely to kind of get sideways glances and Our Canada has lost to such a degree even that smattering of understanding of God that once was a part of a church-going society but is now seemingly lost forever. And yet don't despair, my friends, because... Folks that have never heard of God, don't know much about God, are more susceptible to learn about him, if we will be faithful, than people that have been exposed and churchified and then turned their backs on him. So don't despair for those people that don't yet know the Lord. Trust the Lord that the Lord is still gathering together his people from the ends of the earth and, yes, from the corners of Canada as well. I go back to my text this morning. Psalm 44, 3 and 4. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call upon him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. And Romans 11:33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his way past finding out. Dear ones, this is the God in whom we believe. This is the God we love because he first loved us. This is the God we serve. Is it true of you? Is there anyone present this morning who has not yet placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anyone here today who has not turned over your life to the Lord Jesus that he might forgive your sin and cleanse your mind and your heart? If that should be your situation at all, 
Then may I lovingly tell you that you are missing out on the best things in life, and you are at risk in the face of death. The law of God makes it clear that we have broken his law. We have put other gods before him. We have sinned against him in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions, and we are under his judgment. We dare not face a holy God in judgment. But if we're willing to admit that, and if we're willing to tremble at his presence, if he has caused us to do so, then we may be surely ready to receive the good news that God has taken your judgment on himself in the person of his son Jesus. His innocent life was willingly given up into the hands of sinful men to be bruised and abused, and his life was poured out on the cross for you, my friend. He paid for your sins with his own blood. He surrendered his life unto death for you. Will you refuse to look upon him? Is there anyone here today that will refuse to realize that through his death, he has paid for your sins and now offers you life, eternal life? By responding to his love, you may be forgiven and brought into his family forever. By trusting in Christ, you are not only ready to die, for the first time perhaps in your life, you're really ready to live. That's why Christians stand in awe of God. To God only wise, be glory through Christ or Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And I believe that they have put, I stand in awe of him, of you, on the overhead as our closing hymn. Brother?